There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burden contains depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Billie Jean Letterman died in 1991 of a gunshot wound to the head. That's 31 years ago as of this telling. Her daughter Ashley has been pleading with law enforcement to do something about her mother's case, saying she saw Michael Letterman drag Billie across the living room floor by her hair and jab her in the temple with a gun. In this episode, we'll go through the investigation into Billie's death and communications we've had with the lead investigator. We want to note that we've reached out to Michael Letterman to try to get his perspective on Billy's death, but he's never responded. We hired a private investigator to try to talk to him, but Michael told him to get off his property. We tried to reach him by phone and by letter, but didn't get a response. The invitation still stands. We also want to give a lot of credit to Ashley, who tracked down the majority of the evidence that we're using in this story. When she tried to get evidence from the Miller County Sheriff's Office about Billy's case, The only thing they came up with was the interview with Michael Letterman. It seems strange, but she actually got the police reports from the crime lab, since the sheriff's office no longer had its own reports. I'm Karen Trigo-Stewart. From Power of Pod Productions, this is Episode 3 of Burden. The Investigation, Part 1. One of the first officers to arrive at the scene the night Billy was shot was Officer Ray Easley. We only know he was there because another officer wrote it in his report. Easley was the one who retrieved the gun as evidence. He wrote in the evidence record that it was a 22 Magnum Revolver X-Cam. The record says the gun was retrieved from the living room floor. Two other officers on the scene did document what they saw that night. One of them was Officer Green. We don't know his first name only his first initial, which is W. Green's report is pretty short and without much detail. He wrote that he arrived at approximately 10.32 on the night of August 12, 1991. He reports that he was dispatched to an incident involving a gunshot victim. 
The report he turned in lists the incident as a suicide attempt. Green notes that he spoke with the person who originally reported the shooting to police. That was Michael's mother, Liz Letterman. She told Green that all she knew was that Michael called her and told her that Billy had shot herself. The report actually lists a Vicki Letterman rather than Liz Letterman, but there is no Vicki Letterman that we know of, so we have to assume that was a mistake, or maybe she gave him another name. In any case, that was it for Green's report. Another officer at the scene was Deputy Tommy Clay, who provided more details in the report that he turned in. He wrote that when he arrived, an unidentified woman said the victim was around back. Here's more of what Tommy Clay reported, read word for word by a voice actor. I then proceeded to the back door of the residence, where I overheard someone in the crowd of spectators say they said she committed suicide. Upon entering the residence through the back door, I observed the victim lying on her back with her head at the door entrance. I then observed a puddle of blood about six to eight inches in diameter. Between the officers and the EMTs, Tommy Clay is the only one who reported seeing a puddle of blood. Detective Clay also said that he saw a wound behind Billy's ear and that Billy appeared to be dead. The victim's husband, Michael Letterman, was on top of the victim crying. Soon after deputies arrived on the scene, the paramedics checked the victim and then transported the victim to St. Michael's Hospital. Clay said he saw a pistol on the rug in the middle of the living room, approximately six to eight feet from Billy's body. He also wrote that he saw blood smudges in the kitchen. I also observed a gun belt with a holster hanging up in a gun rack with a bow and arrow. The bow and arrow was knocked off on the side the holster was. It was laying on the TV. I also observed the rug had been folded back in the living room. It's hard to know just what Clay meant especially because no photos were ever taken of the scene. That's right, no photos were ever taken of the scene. Lead investigator Sergeant Don Nix arrived at the scene. Everybody else had left and the house was empty. Nix starts off his report about that night by describing what his deputies told him about what happened. Nix was told by his deputies that Michael's friends Charles Glover and Mark Choate were already at the house when officers arrived. In the same report, though, he also says that Glover and Choate arrived at the same time as the officers. Nix also makes an error in the timeline when he talks about Glover and Choate. He says Glover and Choate told the deputies that they got a call from Michael at about 11.40, but that's not possible. Paramedics and officers arrived at the scene at 10.30, and we know Glover and Choate had already been called by that time. As an aside, a neighbor wrote to Ashley several years ago that she remembers several people being at the house long before a cop or ambulance ever showed up. She says that Michael's mom, Elizabeth, even beat on their door, crying and screaming, saying Billy had been shot. And she wonders why Liz wouldn't have just said, Billy shot herself, if that was the truth. This neighbor hasn't given us permission to use their names, so we won't identify them here. But the point is, if the police and ambulance showed up around 10.30... Michael called his parents and friends before then. Back to Nix's report. It goes on to say that Charlie Glover and Mark Choate said that when Michael called them, he said he needed help because his wife had been shot. Glover said when he arrived at the house, Michael was hysterical and asked him to call an ambulance. We're going to use a voice actor to read more of what Nix wrote in his report. Investigation at the scene revealed that at the time of the incident, The victim was at home with the suspect and two small children. 
The children were in bed in adjoining rooms at the time of the incident. A 22 Magnum single-action revolver was found lying on the floor of the residence on a throw rug approximately 10 feet from the doorway. The weapon was loaded with five live rounds and one expended round. A pillow and towel with a small amount of blood was lying in front of the doorway. There was no apparent evidence of a struggle. Nix made no mention of Clay reporting that a bow and arrow seemed to be out of place or that a rug was folded over. Now let's move on to the part of Nix's report that contains his first-hand observations. He said he left the house and headed back to the hospital. When he arrived there, the ER doctor told him Billy had been shot in the head and that the bullet had entered behind and above the right ear. We'll be going into detail about that bullet wound in an upcoming episode, but if you draw a line from the top of your right ear straight back an inch or so, that's about where the bullet entered. Billy's doctor, Dr. Wade, also told Nix there was little evidence of charring around the wound entrance. Charring generally occurs when the gun is fired from very close range. So Dr. Wade didn't believe that it was a contact wound. He thought the weapon had been fired from some distance away. Nix also says that Dr. Wade told him that even though Billy was still alive, there was little chance that she would survive the shooting. Nix went on to say this about Michael. The suspect had been supplied with wet washcloths and towels by hospital staff prior to my arrival, and the suspect had wiped his hands and upper body with the towels and cloths. I was unable to obtain a gunshot residue sample. Nix writes that he tried to speak with Michael at the hospital, but Michael became incoherent. Nix also wrote that he told witnesses and Michael to report to the sheriff's office the next day for formal statements. Well, if family, friends, or anyone else actually gave statements, they're not in the files we have. We only have an interview with Michael Letterman, and not much reason to believe an effort was ever made to interview other witnesses. Here's Sergeant Nix's account of what happened during the interview with Michael Letterman the morning after the shooting. This is the interview that you heard in episode one, where Nix and Castile keep trying to get Michael to tell them where the gun was and how Billy got shot. During the interview, Letterman stated that he and the victim had been arguing about a camping trip that they were planning to take. The argument then became centered on outstanding bills. Letterman stated at one point he retrieved the pistol from somewhere around the TV and threw it on the floor. Letterman stated that he challenged the victim to shoot him. According to Letterman, the victim picked the weapon up and placed it on the couch. Letterman then started to leave the residence, but for an unknown reason turned around and saw the victim with the gun in her hand. Letterman stated that the victim began to turn the gun, and as she did so, he made an attempt to reach her. Letterman apparently tried to take the gun, and at some point the gun discharged, the bullet striking her in the head. Letterman's statement was broken, and he was at times almost incoherent. Nix wrote a report when the results came back from the crime lab. According to lab tests, the weapon was fired from a distance of between 6 and 12 inches. The witness's statement that the victim fired the shot that struck her does not readily conform to this information. The most probable scenario is that the witness fired the shot that struck his wife and ultimately caused her death. Although it seems unlikely, there does exist the possibility that the incident occurred exactly as the witness describes it, that the victim was holding the weapon in her hand and it discharged as the witness attempted to intervene. The witness and victim were known to argue and have violent fights. According to family members, the victim had received injuries on previous occasions but would not leave or divorce her husband. Although they had a purported history of physical violence during arguments, 
there was no evidence of a struggle at the scene of the shooting, even though the witness stated that he and the victim were involved in a fairly heated argument prior to the victim receiving the gunshot wound. And here's the last page in Nix's report, which talks about interviewing Michael a second time, about three months after the first interview. There's no transcript this time, just this paragraph. Letterman's account varies little from the account he gave on the day following the shooting. Letterman was advised that the autopsy reports and lab reports were finished and that they contained information that might refute his account of the incident. Letterman agreed to undergo a polygraph examination to determine if he was giving a factual account of the incident. The polygraph exam is being scheduled at this time. But it seems that the lie detector test never actually happened. It would have been administered by the Arkansas State Police. We submitted a Freedom of Information Act request, but there's no record that an exam was ever conducted on Michael Letterman. My co-host Stephanie Harris will tell you more about conversations she had with Nix later on. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The investigative reports we just went through were all from 1991. In part two of the investigation episodes, we'll tell you about then-Sheriff H.L. Phillips reopening the case briefly in 1997. I also need to note that it is entirely possible that more reports and witness statements exist. We just don't have them. Okay, so fast-forwarding to 2014, Ashley started ramping up her campaign to get her mom's case reopened. That year, she recorded a phone call with Don Nix about what she had found and how Michael could be prosecuted. He had retired by that time and was quite sick. He also was trying to pull up memories from decades earlier. So we want to cut him some slack if he doesn't remember everything as it happened. The recording is very hard to understand, but here are points Nix made in the phone call. To be very clear, these are issues raised by Don Nix from his perspective more than 20 years after Billy died. Number one, the family, including Ashley's dad, Topper, protected Michael. Two, Michael would not talk to him at the hospital, so Nix had to get a warrant. Three, the next morning, Michael gave a voluntary statement and submitted to a gunshot residue test. Number four, neighbors verified that Michael had been shooting the gun in his backyard earlier that day, just as Michael had told Nix. Five, 
Michael said Billy took the gun and put it to her head. During the struggle, the gun went off. Number six, Michael's story matches Ashley's, that they struggled over the gun and it went off. It's a he said, she said situation. Number seven, the medical examiner took a long time to submit the autopsy report, and they had to corner him at the courthouse one day to get him to give Miller County an answer on Billy's death. And finally, number eight, handwashing doesn't always remove all gunshot residue, but Michael had also showered before being tested for it. Nick said something else in that phone call that was troubling. We're going to play it for you, even though the audio is hard to understand. This is the real Don Nix, of course, not an actor. The room was clean. There wasn't any evidence, you know, in the room. This had been done prior to the deputies even getting there. He said there was no evidence because the scene had been cleaned up before the deputies even got there. Well, if true, isn't that in itself evidence? Nix went on to blame the responding officers for not getting Michael's clothes and not securing the scene. I wore his clothes and all that stuff, and well, they're gone, you know. I was pretty upset with the uh, responding officers that night for not securing that scene, and, that, and I, was, I, I had a pretty good attitude and was kidding with those boys. So where did the clothes go? Did he check the laundry room? The trash? Did he ask Michael's friends or family for the clothes? It seems like someone should have done at least one of those things. After I got involved in this case, we planned to make a documentary, so we released a trailer to raise awareness. The trailer includes parts of Nix's phone call with Ashley. Sergeant Nix was very upset about having the conversation used without permission. He also felt that it was unfair for us to put the information out there because he hadn't had time to refresh his memory or review the old files. I was able to exchange emails with him in 2018. By the time I communicated with Nix, he had made an effort to review the files on Billy's case. The full emails are available to Burden's Patreon members, but here are what we think are his important points. Again, these are all from his perspective many years later, but after he had reviewed the files. First, the burden of proof was heavy, and there was not enough physical evidence at the scene to work with. Two, the responding officers did start a crime scene investigation, but the ambulance had already left and the family was gone. Three, back in 1991, Nix and then-Deputy Prosecutor Carlton Jones spoke with a medical examiner. He could not rule out that the shooting occurred exactly as Michael said it did. Carlton Jones is now a circuit court judge in Miller County. Number four, Nix retired in 1995 due to a number of health problems. At that time, which was four years after Billy's death, he hadn't yet received the medical examiner's report. Number five. When Ashley called Nix in 2014, she said there were family members who were willing to testify. Number six. After hearing this from Ashley, Nix again spoke with the prosecutor, who agreed that the new witnesses might increase the chances that it could be prosecuted. By that time, the family members then decided not to cooperate. Number seven. When he asked Miller County Sheriff Ron Stovall for the files, they could not be located after an extensive search. Sheriff Stovall served from 2009 to 2016. Number eight, when Sheriff Jackie Runyon was elected in 2016, his investigators found the files. Nix went over them with Runyon's investigators. The gun, however, has never been found. Here's the voice actor who will read these final excerpts from Sergeant Nix's emails. Having since had the opportunity to review the files, there well may be discrepancies in the narrative at that time and now. There are a host of other discrepancies in the case that give me concern. His main concern was actually corroborating Michael's story. 
She describes how she observed the fighting between her mother and stepfather. She states that he didn't shoot her execution style. He didn't point it at her. They were fighting over the gun and it went off and her mother dropped. To my mind, at that point, she simply corroborated the statement given by Michael Letterman. I tried to contact her and let her know that she was quite possibly endangering her case should she ever be allowed to testify. She refused to contact me and I wouldn't dare put this information on a public venue. But I am afraid by this time the cat is out of the bag. I spoke with Judge Carlton Jones about the matter and he agreed with my assessment. As a retired investigator with a day or two's experience in preparing cases for state and federal courts, it is my opinion that this case is now sullied and tainted almost beyond redemption. That may not be the case, and I sincerely hope not, but either way, Ashley's rancor and vitriol towards me are misplaced. He's right. Ashley was pissed. She texted with Nix, but did refuse to talk to him again. He told her she had broken the law by using the recording, and he felt that she was calling him a liar. She insisted that she was not calling him a liar. She told him to get in touch with me, and he did, through the emails discussed here. Nix agreed to talk with me, and in fact encouraged me to call him. His last message was sent on June 24, 2018. I had planned to call him that weekend, but for some unremembered reason, I didn't. He died a month later on July 28th. We've gone through the reports and the communications with Sergeant Don Nix. Here are the issues we have with the investigation thus far. Michael's statement. Why did they stop the interview with Michael? Because he wanted his daddy? Did they try to resume the interview after he saw his daddy? Did they interview his daddy, Red Letterman? Did they interview his mom, Liz Letterman? The timing. When did Billy get shot? Who did Michael call first? Who arrived at the house and in what order? Phone calls. Did anyone get the 911 call logs or recordings? Did anyone check phone records to see who called whom and when? The scene. Nick said that the responding deputies did start a crime scene investigation, but not until after everyone was gone. So where are the photos? Crime scene diagrams. The rug. The clothes. Blood samples? A list of people on the scene? Anything? The condition of the house. There was no sign of a struggle, according to one investigator, but one of the deputies described a bow and arrow being out of place. There was a throw rug folded somehow in the room. Was it messed up or neatly folded? Was there blood on it? Ashley said a table was knocked over. Did anyone ask the witnesses what the house looked like when they got there? Blood evidence. Billy allegedly shot herself on or next to the couch. Was there no evidence there? What about the blood in the kitchen? Where was it? In the sink? On the counter? On the floor? What did it look like? Was Deputy Tommy Clay the only person who saw a puddle of blood the size of a cup saucer? If that blood was cleaned up before Nix got to the house, who cleaned it? Did Clay see who cleaned it up? Where was it? By the couch? By the door? Why did no one else mention it? The gun. Did it fit in the holster? Did they bag it for prints? Was there blood on it? Or hair? Where exactly was it in the room? Nix's report said it was about 10 feet from the door. In which direction? Closer to the kitchen or girls' room? Or closer to the couch, which was on the opposite wall? Did they check the serial number to see if it was registered anywhere? Speaking of the gun, 
We've received information indirectly from two different people who say it was not Billy's gun, as Billy's family has believed all these years. Billy's dad had given her and her sister Melissa matching 22 revolvers. The report said it belonged to a friend of Charlie Glover's, Doug Hartman. But we have also heard that it belonged to Glover's friend, Ed Nevels. Both Hartman and Nevels have since passed away. There is a rumor that Michael broke the gun into pieces at some point and threw it in a pond. Nick said the gun was lost, or it could even still be with the crime lab. But as far as we know, there is no documentation on the person to whom Miller County returned the gun, if it was returned at all. The autopsy. We can't figure out why Nick said they didn't receive the autopsy or medical examiner's report when in his own file, he described the medical examiner's opinion. He told Michael that his story does not conform to the medical examiner's findings. This was a mere two months after Billy's death. In his email to me in 2018, Nix continued to deny receiving the medical examiner's report. He said hearing Ashley read from it in 2014 was the first he heard that it had been completed. He said he assumed it had come in after he had been injured and retired. The lie detector test. Why did no one schedule or conduct the polygraph exam? Finally, the records. Typically, in investigations like this, there are two separate files. There's a file that goes to the prosecutor, and then there's a working file where detectives might put notes and other random information that they collect, but don't necessarily have to go to the prosecutor. But in this case, where is the working file? Where are any of this case's files at the Miller County Sheriff's Office? Nick said that the current sheriff was able to immediately find them, and he went and reviewed them. Well, that was in about 2017. Well, where are they now? There are so many more questions than answers in this case. If it's frustrating for us, imagine how Billy's family feels. Ashley has done everything she can to try to move this case forward. But how is that even possible when almost everything has been lost? At some point, records and evidence were apparently moved from the old jail where they were kept to a new location. Several people we've talked to have blamed lost files on this move and on different sheriff administrations that may not have been careful about record storage. Regardless... What other files and evidence have been lost in moves and during different administrations of the Miller County Sheriff's Office? One thing we know about abusers like Michael is that they're usually repeat offenders. About a week after Billie Jean died, a woman walked into the police station to talk to Sergeant Nix. That woman was Michael's first wife. He woke me up choking me. What, with his hands? Yes, sir, right around my neck. We'll tell you more about that on the next episode of Burden. Visit burdenpod.com for more information about this show. That's burdenpod.com. There you can contact us, sign up for our mailing list, or see photos of the people featured in the podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at burdenpod. Subscribe to Burden in your favorite podcasting app, and please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser. It really helps us out. We're also on Patreon, where you can purchase a monthly subscription and access bonus content, like extended video interviews, Billy's case files, photos of the house where Billy was shot, and a collection of family photos. If you know anything about this case, please let us know. What you send in will not be shared unless we have your permission. We know there were witnesses from that night who have not wanted to talk. If you change your mind, we still want your insight. If you or someone you know needs help, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. 
or text START to 88788. Stay safe and until next time.